So today we are going to talk about forgiveness, but before we get into that, we have to talk about sermons for a minute. You know, forgiveness is the main thing, but, you know, my my brother, this actually happened not that long ago, my brother is single, he, um, for a number of reasons, but anyway, so my sisters kind of pick on him. And they will give him instructions on how to live, different things like that. And he'll come to me and he'll say, yeah, I got a sermon from them again. See, you did not get a, a sermon's a work of art. You did not get that from it. But to him, a sermon is when he gets chewed out. So I ran across this definition. I want to remind you of, of it every once in a while. Um, it says, a, a sermon is a lengthy or tedious speech delivered with great passion by any person to an uninterested audience. And uh, what I've done is, as soon as I read that, I said, that's it. I'm not writing any more sermons ever again. I'm going to do a Bible study on Sunday morning with some illustrations and some, some stories, but I'm not going to do the traditional sermon format. So I, I haven't for probably five, six years now. So today we're going to talk about forgiveness and you know, it seems like for me, as soon as I became a pastor, I'd go to local businesses and I'd get one of two things. One, they would give me a discount because they felt sorry for how much money I was making. Or two, they would rip me off. Now, the second one was more common than the first one. And in my last church, I had a mechanic that I, I trusted. And uh, it was a good thing because I had really bad cars. And... He, uh, I asked him about that. I said, you know, you haven't never ripped me off that I know of, but it seems like a lot of folks that I do business with do. And he says, well, they find out you're a pastor and they think you won't retaliate. So they don't do finish the job or whatever, because, you know, Christians are supposed to forgive people who ripped him off. And it's automatic. And it happened again just recently. I tell you that story when I'm not being filmed. But, you know, it happens often. Now, this fella, I confronted him on it. I sent him a text. He texted back, apologized, and did come back and fix what he was supposed to have fixed in the first place. Now, the Bible does say that you're, you need to forgive people who do things like that to you. You know, this it's first from Ephesians, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So I had to ask myself, is this something that applies in every situation? Does this mean that I have to do business with this guy who did a lousy job again? What does it mean to forgive? See it. Here's the problem, folks. I, I know most of you fairly well. Some of you not as much as others, but you're such nice people. Well, most of you are. And, you know, you're quick to forgive. Now, here's the problem with that, you know, is that if you're kind and loving and forgiving, you just naturally assume that everybody else is too. And that's not so. Some people don't care if you forgive them or not. Our daughter had her bank account hacked a few weeks ago. $15,000. I was proud of that. I mean, the fact that she had $15,000 in the bank. 
But, you know, it was really quite unsettling to her. Now, the bank put the money back, and they should, because she put her money in there, they let somebody else take it out. That's not right. So the, the bank took care of her, but it scared her pretty good. And uh, I was wondering, as I was putting this together, do the hackers care that they're not forgiven? Or do they care at all? They don't, do they? Oh, they could care less. They just move on to the next one. So the question is then, should she forgive those hackers? Should I forgive them? I mean, they took advantage of my little girl. You know, they're lucky to be alive, right? But, you know, what about that? You know, so that's the background I want us to go into this thinking with today. Jesus talked about forgiveness many times. And today we're going to look at one time where he talked about it. It's an often quoted message, uh, passage on this subject from Matthew 18. And it starts off with a dialogue between Jesus and Peter. And it reads like this. At that point, Peter got up the nerve to ask, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or sister who hurts me? Seven? And Jesus replied, hardly. Try 70 times seven. See, now Peter expected to get a pat on the back because the common teaching of the rabbis of that day is you forgive somebody three times and then you go after them. Three times is the limit of letting things go. After that, they're in trouble. Here comes Jesus, says 490 times you've got to forgive him. That's a lot of forgiveness. So was he serious? And he followed this up with a story. Uh, Jesus liked to tell stories like all good preachers do. And uh, this is not a factual story. This is a parable that he made up probably right on the spot. He said this, the kingdom of God is like a king who decided to square accounts with his servants. As he got underway, one servant was brought before him who had run up a debt of $100,000. Now, I remind you, this is a paraphrase, so the amounts are relative. He couldn't pay up, so the king ordered the man, along with his wife, children, and goods, to be auctioned off at the slave market. Now, that was normal justice in those days. If you couldn't pay your bills and they were high enough, they put you up for sale. Your kids, you, everybody. You became slaves. They pierced your ear and put a tag in it that indicated you were a slave, and you were a slave. The debt meant that the lender could have your property and you, if the debt was big enough, you could be sold as slaves. Uh, you know, I've taken the Dave Ramsey class, I've taught the Dave Ramsey class, and he often quotes Proverbs 22, 7 that says, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. And we all know that's very much true. So the story of Jesus goes on like this. He says, the poor wretch threw himself at the king's feet and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. Touched by his plea, the king let him off, erasing the debt. Now you know that this is just a story because it says the king was touched. Kings don't get touched. But he, he erased the debt, so the debt was gone. He's not your normal lender. Then it reads like this. The servant was no longer out of the room when he came upon one of his fellow servants who owed him $10. He seized him by the throat and demanded, pay up now. Interesting turn of events. 
was the first guy faking his repentance. He didn't have any more debt. Couldn't he have just let the ten bucks go? Well, look how the story goes. The poor wretch threw himself down and begged, give me a chance and I'll pay it all back. But he wouldn't do it. He had him arrested and put in jail until the debt was paid. When the other servants saw this going on, they were outraged and brought a detailed report to the king. Uh, Debtor's prison that they're talking about here sounds strange to us, but it was a common thing in those days. If you had small bills you didn't pay, you went to this debtor's prison, which was usually a mine or a factory of some sort, and you had to earn your keep in the prison plus pay off, make enough money to pay the debt off. So it's kind of like a forced labor camp. And I'm kind of glad that the other servants were outraged about this. As you think that would never happen today, but you know that in the United States, they had debtor's prisons until the late 1800s. It was a common thing even here in the good old USA. And Michigan still to this day can put you in prison for not paying child support or court costs. And there are people in prison because of that thing, because of that. So it's still going on. Well, here's the response of the king. The king summoned the man and said, You evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? The king was furious and put the screws to the man until he paid back his entire debt. And that's exactly what my Father in heaven is going to do to each one of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who asks for mercy. See, Jesus paid for all our sins, so that's done. We couldn't pay them off on our own. If we tried, we couldn't. So he expects us to forgive the little sins, the ones that hurt us. Those are the little sins. The New Testament is clear that if we don't forgive, we won't be forgiven. So that makes me want to ask the question, well, what really is forgiveness? You know, when when Jenny got hacked, she has a choice of either let it go or be mad about it. Because hackers don't apologize. Hackers don't repent. You let it, she has to let it go for her and I have to let it go for me. So here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is the letting go of an offense. Forgiveness is the release of anger and resentment and the desire to get even so that your wounded soul can heal. And as with my daughter, I said, and then look for a bank that has better security. But that's how that works. Now, I wanted to give you a list today which I'm going to do of six things that forgiveness is not because Christians so often get confused on this. And the first one of these is forgiving is not forgetting. Sometimes you can't forget. But forgiveness can be sincere without forgetting. Not forgetting helps prevent the hurt from happening again. If you remember how somebody ripped you off, you're probably not going to let them rip you off a second time. It doesn't mean you hold it against them forever. You forgive them. You just don't do business with them again. 
and you can protect yourself. Forgiving is not forgetting. And excusing is not forgiving. In fact, excusing is the opposite of forgiving. We excuse people when we understand they're not to blame. You know, and then we forgive people for the things we blame them for. You know, that's just kind of how that works. It's a way of holding them accountable. You still forgive, but you don't make excuses for it. And then number three, forgiving is not the same as smothering conflict, as sweeping it under the rug, which churches so often have done. You think of the scandals of the priests and the boys, and you think of all the financial scandals in the evangelical world. Until recently, these things were all pushed under the, under the rug. Well, you can't heal that way. Nobody can heal if the violation is not addressed. And if you sweep it under the carpet, the offenses will just multiply. They'll accumulate because then folks will think they're not going to be held accountable. So forgiving is not the same as smothering conflict. Number four, accepting people is not forgiving them. See, we accept each other because we're acceptable in spite of our flaws. Matt over here, he accepts me. He knows all my flaws, don't you? And I accept you for your flaws. That's what we do, right? Of course. That's what God wants us to do. That's what God wants us to do. You know, you should have been a pastor, Matt. I think we're going to have to work on that. But we accept people because they're worth accepting in spite of our flaws. But we forgive people for the bad things they've done for us, done to us. See, I, I can accept you for being a drunk. You know, if you come driving into this parking lot stone drunk, I can still accept you. But if you crash your car into mine, we're going to have to have an unpleasant conversation. <laughs> and then I'm going to have to forgive you. But accepting and forgiving are two different things. Number five, forgiving is not tolerance. You do not have to tolerate what people do to you when you forgive them for doing it. You may forgive people and still refuse to tolerate what they've done. And then number six, forgiving is not reconciliation. Some of us here have ex-spouses. And I've heard some horror stories, stories you just wouldn't believe. How do you forgive them when Jesus says 70 times seven? Well, you do forgive them, but you don't have to reconcile with them. You don't have to let them back into your life. Now, I have an ex, and I need to forgive her every time I think of her, every time I'm reminded of her. It comes back. Forgiveness is not a one-time act. It has to happen every time. Now, I haven't spoken to her in 22 years. And I don't plan on speaking to her in the future. Reconciliation is not a possibility. But I have to forgive her for what she did. See, forgiveness can be granted. But access and reconciliation are optional. You're not required to do that. 
Jesus didn't say you had to be reconciled to your ex-wife or ex-husband, but you do have to forgive them. So then, here's the thing. Forgiving benefits the forgiver more than the forgiven. See, I don't know how this works, and I'm not a psychologist. I don't understand it all. But when somebody hurts you, it's like they're chaining themselves to you. You've got... They, it's like they become a part of your life. You can't get past that. Your anger keeps inviting them back in. And that's not a good thing. So here's how I'd like you to think about forgiveness. It's been really helpful to me. Is Think of forgiveness as a bolt cutter. That somebody has emotionally chained themselves to you, and you've got a bolt cutter. And you can cut the chain and set yourself free. That to me is what forgiveness is. In forgiving, you let go of the anger and you let the healing begin. And life is so much better when you follow the teachings of Jesus. Now, for those of you who want to go a little deeper in this, there's an excellent little book that was written probably 25 years ago by a native of Muskegon, Michigan. His name was Lewis Smeads. He grew up on Amity Street, right by uh, oh, whatever the name of that Christian Reformed Church is out there on Amity. Somebody help me with a name. Allen Avenue. Yeah, he grew up right next to that, right in the shadow of that. His uncle owned a business called Smeads Iron Works here in Muskegon. He grew up there. He died a few years ago. He went on to Calvin, and then he, he taught at Fuller Seminary. He was uh, one of the top ethicists in the country, in the world, actually. And he wrote this book called Forgive and Forget. And a lot of today's materials I've taken from that book because it's just outstanding on forgiveness. I have worn out three copies of that book myself because I need to keep reminding myself to forgive and forgive and forgive. Otherwise, you turn sour, and I'll I'll turn into a grumpy old man, and it's bad enough just being an old man, but if you're a grumpy old man on top of it, that's even worse. So I encourage you to pick up a copy of Forgive and Forget. You can get them for three bucks on eBay, and uh, uh, follow that. Smeads, uh, Diane and I had the privilege of meeting him once uh, at a conference, and and uh, it was a life changer. So I encourage you to get into this, pursue it more, follow the teachings of Jesus, and you'll have a better life. Let's pray together. Lord, you have blessed us so many ways and so many things. We have to confess to you that we haven't always been so forgiving. So create within us a spirit that forgives. Help us each to find our bolt cutter and cut those chains that have been binding us for who knows how long. Amen. All right, we are at the point now where we're going to receive the offering. You know, I hate to ask for money. I did my bachelor's degree under somebody who was the ultimate fundraiser of religion. I studied under Oral Roberts, but I just hate to ask for money. At the same time, I believe in what we're doing here. So uh, I just put that out. We have a little less red ink this month than last month, and that's a good thing. 
And my thanks to all of you for your generosity. And while the plate's being passed, if you don't mind uh, putting your name on the pads, you can also uh, uh, donate online. It's much easier for those of you who like to do that sort of thing. And the directions are on our website.